Football is an amazing game, and like all sports, it can teach us so much about life. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Super Bowl champion Matt Burke to discuss the lessons he learned while playing football and how they translated into his everyday life. We covered dozens of topics from life in the locker room, the lights going out at the Super Bowl, going to Harvard, being drafted, fame, wealth, marriage, parenting, the relationship between talent and discipline, being a free agent, what he misses about that season of his life, and life after football. The conversation provides an extraordinarily human perspective on what it means to be a professional athlete and how competing at the highest level helped one man get very clear about what matters most. Hi, I'm Matthew Kelly. Thanks for joining us. I'm here with Super Bowl champion Matt Burke. Matt, it's great to have you with us. Great to be here, Matthew. I got some uh, very serious questions to get started. Uh, you, uh, are you a coffee lover? Uh, I, I live on coffee. You live on yes, coffee. Uh, I have to. How much coffee? Uh, I've, I've got a thing going. I'm asking <clears throat> all my guests how much coffee they drink to see yeah. who is um, you know, most enamored or addicted to coffee. How much coffee do you drink a day? I'd say only, uh, only three or four cups. But then the natural question is, how big are the cups, right? It doesn't matter how many cups you have. Uh, my cups are generally the 24 ounce. 24 ounce Variety, yes. Three or four. Yeah, three, three at or four what of those point days. of the day do you stop drinking coffee? Oh, out of eight, fear that eight you nine o'clock at night. I could, I, could, I could drink coffee while laying in bed and fall asleep right then and there. It's Wow. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't think, that doesn't speak to my character at all. I don't think, I mean, I don't think I should be lauded for that. I don't think so. It's, it's sort I, of like a superpower, isn't it? Well, it just means I've drank a lot of coffee over the years and it pretty much has almost zero effect on me, but I'm, I'm addicted. All I have right. eight kids. I mean, how, how do you parent without We're going to get to that okay. and I, right. I hear that. I, I got all sorts of excuses I hear for that my big vices. Time. And yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. coffee isn't the only thing that you need in order to father eight children. What about uh, favorite movie? Favorite movie is Braveheart. Braveheart. Why is it your favorite movie? I think it's just, it's, it's got that thing, right? That thing that speaks to, to something in us men. You know, the courage, the fight the cause, the woman. I mean, it's, it's, it's got it all, right? And it's got bagpipes. Bagpipes are sweet. Kilts. Huh? I kilts? thought you were going to mention the kilts. Nah, I'm not big into the kilts, <laughs> but, but the bagpipes I can, I can get behind. All right. Um, the great line in the movie, all men die, but not all men mm. really live. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've had incredible life. Um, lots of different chapters and seasons of that life. But it started, you grew up in Minnesota. What was life like as a child growing up in Minnesota? You know, I was, I was very fortunate to have just that idyllic childhood. I mean, grew up in a, in, a, in a part of town where there was just a bunch of families, a bunch of kids, you know, sort of blue collar, middle class, good values, a uh, million kids in the neighborhood. You know, we were just outside playing all the time. Uh, walked up the hill to school, walked up the hill to church. I mean, it was just, it was just perfect. I look back and I, I, I think how lucky I was to, to grow up in a, in a time and a place like that. 
And uh, yeah, kind of long for that for my kids, right? Life's, life's different these days. Life is different these days. Um, I read somewhere that like, as a kid, you didn't win stuff. You weren't <laughs> particularly athletic. You didn't get picked first in sports. That's all true. How does someone go from that to being on a winning Super Bowl team? Yeah, so I loved I loved sports. I wasn't really any good at them. You know, I was the fat, slow kid, which I was all right with. I mean, it didn't really matter. I, I remember I, I knew I wasn't any that good at sports, but it didn't matter. Like it didn't diminish my love for them. I mean, you play in the you play in the neighborhood, and there's guys that are really good and guys that aren't. I was one of the guys that wasn't, and that that was okay. Um, and I tried every single sport. And then I got to high school and I said, well, the only sport I haven't tried is football. So, so I might as well try that, right? And that's when I discovered two gifts that God gave me. He gave me the gift of getting in people's way and the gift of grabbing onto them. <laughs> and those are, those are two really important gifts if you wanna be, if you're an offensive lineman. Like that's, that's it, that's it in a nutshell. And, you know, I started playing football and I was like, wow, I mean, I'm actually kind of good at this, you know, and I just play in high school, you know, I get a letter jacket and probably had a girlfriend that was a little better looking than she should have been because I was on the football team. You know, I kind of liked it and never thought I'd play in college and ended up playing college and never thought I'd end up playing in the NFL and played in the NFL for 15 years. So, but I mean, sports was such a huge part of of my childhood. And I mean, I can remember for years, people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I, I was conflicted. I didn't know if I wanted to be a professional baseball player, professional basketball. Like this was the big decisions that were weighing on me as a child. And, um, and I guess, you know, it's a way of saying that I, you know, God answers prayers because I did want to be more than anything. I wanted to be a professional athlete, but I think that you need to be specific in your prayers to God because yes, he made me a professional athlete, but he made me an offensive lineman. Like there's no, there's no kids on their knees praying at night saying, God, please make me an offensive lineman, right? Nobody wants to be an offensive lineman, but the world needs linemen too. And, um, and that's what I was. So you almost never left Minnesota as a kid. Right. What's it like stepping onto campus at Harvard? Ooh, man. 18 years old? Yeah, 18 years old. Um, so yeah, I kind of said, yeah, he's like, I, I joke around, but it's true. I never won a trophy as a kid. Never. It was never on an all-star team or anything. And, and um, had kind of the success in high school with football. And so um, it was average in many ways until kind of high school. I started getting recognized. And, and school had always come fairly easy to me. So I was a good student, good athlete, going to Harvard to play football. You know, my parents, they just, uh, I remember they, they dropped they woke my brothers up early, <laughs> two younger brothers, woke them up, made, us, made them drive me to the airport, you know, all of us. And they just dropped me at the curb. I had two duffel bags, which was pretty much everything I had. And they said, good luck. You know, we love you. Come visit you when we can. And jumped on a plane and went to Harvard. And it was just like, I got there. It was just like, oh my gosh. Like the world is so much bigger than I, I, I knew. I mean, I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, never really went anywhere. I just, I thought everybody was white, Irish, and Catholic, you know, <laughs> that, was, that was my whole world. Um, uh, but then just got exposed to people from all over the world and all these different ideas. And, but the thing that happened to me in college early on was where I'd kind of been coasting for a few years. It just seemed like 
I was just had the Midas touch. I was having all this success and everybody was telling me how great I was doing, you know, how proud they were. And, and I was, you know, I was believing the hype. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good, you know, I'm, I'm working hard. And I got to Harvard and it all just kind of came crashing down. I mean, I'm, I'm on the football field. I'm an 18 year old boy. I'm playing against 22 year old men. You know, that's not, that's not going well. And then in school, you know, you're sitting here in class with you know, the best and the brightest, some of the best and the brightest in the world. And you're competing for, uh, competing for grades against them. And, and these unbelievable world famous professors, it was like well, football wasn't going well school wasn't going well and it was probably the first i'm going to say real real kind of crisis i had in my life where it was like oh my gosh like i don't know if i can do this so you're into your first semester you wanted to leave <laughs> your dad wrote you a letter what the well, letter said well so here's how it went like i was like yeah this this isn't going well i i, I was i was way beyond my comfort zone and i was scared and so when I went home for Christmas break, I had two duffel bags with me. That was everything I had. And my plan was I wasn't going to go back. So waiting for the right time to spring this on my parents. And uh, I bring it up and I say, I don't think I'm going to go back. And my dad's a, he's a pretty old school guy. He said, um, he, he listened. He said, no, nope, you're going back. And that was it. I went back, didn't want to, but that was it. You know, your dad told you, I don't know, you just did it. So I'd been back for a few weeks and uh, I get a letter in my mailbox, which back then we wrote letters. <laughs> we didn't have email. And uh, it was a letter from my dad. And he told me that, uh, you know, when he was 18 years old, he got a, a trip to Vietnam. He didn't want to go. He was told to go twice, mm. serve, serve two, two tours in the Vietnam War. And he said, you know, you're at a great school. You get to play football. Nobody's shooting at you. Grow up. Essentially, it was grow up. And I remember, obviously, that, that, that was unbelievable perspective. And I mean, at 18 years old and you're, you're selfish and... And I'd gotten to a point in my life where it was just everything was about me. And so I didn't, I didn't have that perspective. And the way that he told it to me, um, how, you know, it's those times when a father needs to tell his son something like, hey, this is important, um, changed my life. And uh, I stopped feeling sorry for myself. I don't know if it got any easier. <laughs> School was still pretty hard. Football got better. <laughs> I got bigger and stronger. School is still a struggle, but um, that, that, that was an important day in my life. Powerful. Is there a, another lesson that your father taught you that it's important for you to teach your children? Hmm. My, my dad is just, he's just a doer. You know, he's one of those, uh, I guess you could say he evangelizes with his actions. It's his personal example. Um, yeah, we, we didn't have a lot growing up, but he was always volunteering to whatever it was, run the Christmas tree lot, be the commissioner of the little league, make meals at the soup kitchen, whatever it was. He just went and did it. It wasn't, didn't try to make a spectacle out of it. Just went and did it, you know, never said anything. 
just worked, you know, just showed up. My mom and my dad. You know, I, I figure one of the, one of the great blessings of my life is that I was born to two parents who have great work ethic. They just went to work every day, and um, that's a blessing. You know, that's a you have, if you have that example where you're expected, it's just it's just what we do. We show up and we work, and we show up and we serve. Um, that's that's powerful. That's that's that had shaped. That's big part of shape to who I am today. Is it hard to pass that on to your kids? I think it's getting harder. Um, you know, kids these days, I mean, I've, you know, I had a full-time job when I was 11, uh, worked every day at the golf course in the summer, every single day. And it's just what we did, right? These days it's different. Um, you know, life is different. It's digital. It's a lot more comfortable. Uh, but it's just the culture, right? Um, the motivation, the, the value that we just put on work as a society as a whole, you know, the dignity that we see in work, it's, I don't think it's, it's what it used to be. And so it is, it is hard to do. You know, I was very fortunate to be able to play football for 15 years. Um, I don't need to work, but I remember when I retired, it was like, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to go play golf every day and go catch fish? I remember, I made a conscious decision, like, no, I'm going to work. I'm, my kids need to see me working, doing something, every, getting up every single day and, and doing work because um, that's important. Because of the example that my parents, the effect that it had on me, um, I think that's the best way to that's the best way to try to pass something on. Yeah, I'm, I'm struck by something you just said. <clears throat> you know, you said um, I don't need to work, and um, financially, you know, that's true, right? And I think our society looks at work that way. Mm -hmm. We say we need to work financially or we don't need to work financially. But then what you've expanded on is the reality that you do actually need to work. Yes. And, and, and that we do have this need um, to exert ourselves in that way. And, and that playing golf every day, you know, isn't necessarily um, good for the soul. At dinner last night, uh, you made a comment that really struck me also. You said, I've always had the gift of faith. Uh, it is a gift. Uh, when did you become aware of that? Or how did you experience that as a child? Mm -hmm. I just remember as a child just always feeling like God was right beside me. Just always, always on my shoulder. Um, like I said, I was the fat, slow, you know, whatever, average, below average. I was never, I was never sad. I was never, I never had any angst or stress. I always just kind of felt like everything was just always going to work out. I've always had this feeling everything's always going to work out. And I can vividly remember like times in my life where, you know, I'm on my bike, biking to school and, you know, God's with me. Like I'm talking to God, you know, like a friend. I mean, those are just early memories I have. I don't know. I guess I didn't realize that till probably a few years ago that I've always just had this, was blessed with the gift of faith. Um, again, that's not, that says nothing about my character. It's just, it's just something I was blessed with. How did that manifest during your football career? <laughs> well, so there's like kind of the other side of the story, right? So, um, 
first of all, I think I think prosperity derails more people than adversity does. Mm. And so I had enjoyed a lot of prosperity, um, you know, high school, college, and then I get drafted by my hometown team. You know, the team that I grew up, we used to run home from church to get in front of the TV and watch the Vikings game on Sundays, you know, and here I'm, I'm playing for the Vikings and everybody's again, everybody's slapping me on the back saying, God, you're doing great. We're so proud of you. You know, you're doing awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm naive enough. I, I'm believing them. Like, yes, I am doing awesome. Yeah. And, uh, I can remember, uh, I, I stopped going to church pretty much. Um, you know, I left, left high school and I remember the first, first Sunday, go out to school, we're practicing football. We wake up Sunday morning, we've got the day off. There's seven other guys in the dorm room with me. And I'm waiting for somebody to say, hey, let's go to church. And nobody said, let's go to church. And so I didn't go. And it was the first, it was the first Sunday I ever missed. Mm. It was, you know, you feel pretty guilty about that. It was hard. Second Sunday rolls around, don't go to church. It becomes a lot easier. <laughs> the second time and the third time, habits. Yep. Habits, which you talk about. So I'm, I've justified not going to mass with like, hey God, I'm, I'm really busy doing all these great things. Everybody's telling me how great I'm doing, right? Of course you play in the NFL. Well, our games are on Sunday. How am I supposed to make it? How am I, how do you expect me to go to mass when I gotta, I gotta go play the bears? You know, and that's a, that's, that's an excused absence, right? Um, Just because it's the bears? Well, any NFL franchise, <laughs> most of them, most of them. <laughs> so, uh, so I'd reached this point where I had all that was very focused on worldly success, had all the fame and money. And there's even, there's a hamburger named after me in St. Paul. That's how, that's how famous I was. That's your lineman. If you're a lineman and you have a hamburger named after you, that's pretty big time. That is big time. That's, that's usually a quarterback thing. Yeah. It's still there. You come, you come to Minnesota. We'll go, we'll get a Matt Burke burger. Um, I just signed the biggest contract in the history of the NFL for a center. I mean, I, I, beyond my wildest dreams, but I knew, I knew on the inside, there was a huge hole. I knew that I was, I was actually dying. Mm. Like all these things were supposed to bring me, all these things are supposed to bring me happiness. This was everything I ever wanted. Why am I not, why, why don't I have that joy that I thought I would have? So I meet a, I meet a girl, <laughs> become rather smitten with her and, uh, she becomes my wife. And, you know, we were, uh, she was Catholic too, but falling away a little bit. And, and uh, but she was like, hey, we gotta, we gotta go to church. I was like, yeah. I went back to church and it was kind of like, now this was really the first time as an adult, like I wasn't going because my parents told me to go or, hey, meet us, you know, it's Christmas, meet us at mass. I went, I was like, wow, yeah, this is, maybe there's something here. and. Uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, you know, I was raised, raised Catholic, given the gift of the faith as a child. But at some point, we all of us cradle Catholics, we have to claim the faith as our own. We have to say, yes, I am a Catholic. Um, and, uh, and it was kind of, so it's through my, through my marriage that I came, I think came back to the faith and really became intentional about, you know, being a, being a Catholic, about being, uh, living out my, my identity as a, as a child of God and take, taking my faith seriously. You mentioned your wife um, 
Adriana. How much iced tea did you drink in an effort to win your wife's affection? Okay, so <clears throat> I was a lineman. It's about 315 pounds, single, <clears throat> never cooking for myself, right? So you got to find your places where you can go and get those high calorie meals. So there was a diner. It was kind of a greasy spoon diner, uh, sort of famous, been there forever. You know, good food, good rib stick and food, great breakfast, meatloaf, you know, that kind of stuff. So I went in there and um, there was this waitress who I, I liked particularly. And um, everything at this place is big. You know, all the portions are big and even the, the drinks, you know, they're like 32 ounce glasses. So I would always sit in this gal section and I'd get an iced tea. Well, it was 32 ounces iced tea. Well, I wanted her to come back and refill my drinks so I could continue hitting on her. Um, and so I would suck down, you know, three or four iced teas at a breakfast. Uh, so Adriana would come back and fill up my glass and I could, you know, make, make small talk. So it, it was, it was some work, you know, I walked <laughs> out of there with, with a few, with a few belly aches. Um, but it was well worth it because she did, she did become my wife. So talking about the gift of faith, talking about falling away from the church, coming back to the church, how is God manifesting in your life different today than at any other time in your life? Whew. Um, well, that's a great question. I feel like right now, I have eight children, a couple business opportunities, a school that I'm involved in, a lot of stuff going on. It's, it's a lot. And I think God's got me in that place right now where I know that I have no choice but to submit to, to his will and just, I, I'm in really place I know I can't do this. There are times where I still say, oh, I'm on top of it, I got this, and then it's like just disaster. Um, I mean, I'm really in that place where it's, it's, I say almost because I'm still human, but it's like, it's almost total dependency on God that we can just like keep this, this whole thing together. You know, I mean, with kids, there's always, there's all this stuff with kids, marriage, business, it's a lot, it's a lot. And I can't even begin to try to really wrap my head all around it or even feel like I have any semblance of control. Mm. And so it's, it's almost like, okay, well, you know, show up here. I am God. Like, Help, help me figure this out. Give me the, the wisdom and the endurance to do these things according to your will. And I think it's a pretty good place to be. I'm not trying to make it sound like, you know, everything's easy and great. It's not, which is, I think, kind of the point. But it, it's really, I'm kind of at that point where I really have no, I almost have no choice, but to submit to the will of God. It sounds like there's been this journey from like the arrogance of youth, I got it all going on, everyone's telling me I'm the man, to this position of humility and 
dependence on God. Um, we see a lot of people trying to maintain the arrogance, mm. even through the things you're describing. Um, and, you know, all of, I think, the collateral damage that comes with that. Um, you've made this journey yourself, but you've seen a lot of other people make the journey. Oh, yeah. Some people make good choices. Some people make bad choices. What are some of the things that you look at people and think, mm, making a bad choice. How is my life different to them? Why was I able to make better choice? Um, you know, what is the difference between the people that handle it well and the people that don't? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is the people, you're only as good as the people you're around. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I know from playing football that you'd be the greatest player in the world if, if you don't have great teammates, other guys that are talented and committed and you're not gonna do anything. Um, football is the ultimate team game. I think life is it's a team sport. And s there was a time where I thought, oh, I'm really, yeah, I'm really good at picking. Look at these friends that I've selected, right? right. That I've, that, I know that's not me. God put amazing people in my life at the right time. You know, my wife, uh, a handful of older men at a time when I needed, when I was coming back to the faith and very, still very young and immature in my journey. I needed mentors. I needed guys that would take time to sit down and answer my questions and talk to me. Um, but it's those, it's, it, it's my teammates in life who have kept me, uh, kept me on, the, on a good path. You know, they inspire me, they guide me, they hold me accountable. Um, that's, what, that's what we all need. Yeah. yeah that's what we all need. And uh, yeah, very, very blessed. So you're, you grow up Catholic, you take a break. Take a break. <laughs> like many, many, many people do. Yeah. You come back. You have like a favorite memory as a Catholic? Hmm, favorite memory as a Catholic. I can remember this one is somewhat recent. Uh, so we're all busy. We're all so busy. And a few years ago, I'm in the, we're at mass and I'm in the way back because I've got a, I don't know, one or two year old who's not behaving, right? So, and pastor gets up for the homily, he talks about adoration. Well, we have an adoration chapel at our, at our church and been here for 26 years, perpetual adoration. And uh, there's signups today after mass. And right away I'm thinking, well, yeah. <laughs> come on. I got, I got a lot going on, I don't have time. To... And these pastor says, if you don't have one hour a week to spend with Jesus, maybe you need to think about your priorities. And I said, Okay, I guess that's one of those where I feel like he's speaking directly to me. So I go to the table and I say, you know, I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough guy, right? I want to make it hurt a little bit. So I <laughs> sign up for I sign up for 4 a.m. Monday morning, right? I'm thinking, yeah, this is this is good. I'm not only gonna do the hour, I'm gonna take 4 a.m. And this little woman. Therese Boland is her name. She runs the adoration. She runs the program. She's been doing it forever. She's five feet tall. 
she just has the joy of Jesus in her. I mean, she's one of these people, you know? And I sign up and I'm thinking 4 a.m. Monday, I'm, I'm getting like extra credit for this, right? <laughs> I show up, I go to sign in the book. <laughs> Therese Boland was there. She had been there since 2 a.m., mm. from 2 to 4. And because nobody else took, so she fills in all the hours that nobody else takes. And so she, she's there too. And I was probably telling her, but yeah, I got adoration at 4 a.m. tomorrow. You know, like, look at me, look at me, right? All proud. I show up and I, and every Monday I would show up at 4 a.m. And Therese is there from two to four. Mm. And I thought, maybe I, maybe I need to, I could check my ego a little bit. But I find those moments of, I mean, first of all, I need, I need humility. I need those moments. I need those things because I can get, I can get out of control really fast. Um, but I remember that was, that was kind of like the moment that was a Catholic moment. Like when my dad wrote me that letter and it was sort of like, I think there was some, there was a permanent effect there, yeah. you know, like, okay, I'm going to be a little bit different forever going forward. So you start playing football in high school, you go to Harvard and play football. When did you know you would play professional football? About halfway through my senior season, uh, an NFL scout came by to watch my film and I was kind of like, really? So I just asked him point blank, you know, I said, you really think I could play in the NFL? See, I think you got a chance. And like at that point, you know, again, at this point in my life, I'm selfish. I'm about, I mean, Harvard, I'm about achievement, you know, I'm, I'm about money and success. So this guy's, I'm, I can go play in the NFL. So that just really became like my, my singular focus. I, I maybe even went to class a little bit less and was, was just all about, and I just said, I'm just going to pursue this as far as I can. And when it's over, it's over. And then I'll, and then I'll go kind of start my, my real life. Mm. But yeah, it wasn't until my senior year of college. So draft day comes around, you wake up on draft day. What does that feel like? Well, I was nervous because I wasn't sure if I was going to get drafted or not. <laughs> and uh, and I, I had, uh, I'd had a private workout with the Vikings, and they had told me, uh, we're not going to draft the linemen, and you, you're you probably going to get drafted. So it was good to hear. I was like, wow, I'm going to get drafted. That's great. I just wanted an opportunity, but not with the Vikings. So the Vikings weren't on my radar at all. And so then when the phone rang, and it was, you know, they call you – scouts call you hey we're i'm from you know this team we're looking at to take you with the next pick and you know okay but the phone rang and it was denny green the head coach of the minnesota vikings and the head coach isn't calling you to say we might take you he's calling to say we just took you and i remember he said you want to play in minnesota <laughs> I said, of course i do and then my name came up on the screen and i had a bunch of friends we we're all in the dorm room it was a great moment, you know. It's, so you're in the dorm room, that's where you were? Yeah, yeah, just sitting in the dorm room. So you get picked in the sixth round. What did that feel like? What are you thinking in that moment? It's just, it, it's it's kind of surreal. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna make my way back home. And, you know, it was sort of like things were kind of coming together. I mean, again, it was, I was about success. You know, that's what I was about. So I was like, this is great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go play for the Minnesota Vikings. I'll be the hometown hero. Make a lot of money. I'm going to be famous. I mean, it was all just kind of like 
it was all just kind of falling into place. Again, that's, that's, that's where I was at at that point in my life. But you still had to finish out the semester. Finished the semester, graduated, graduated, which was important. Um, and uh, yeah, and then went to, went to training camp. And it was very, it was very similar to the experience I had when I first got to Harvard. Yeah, because I'd kind of been in this place where by the end of high school and by the end of college, it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of the best. And then you start over and you're on the bottom again. And I had a lot of those same, those same feelings. Like, I don't know if I can do this, right? I mean, I had built it up in my mind, like, I'm just going to make this happen. And then you get there and you're like, you know, you're trying to block guys like John Randall. Or it's not going well. And I said, okay. I said, I'm probably not going to make it. But I said, but I'm just make sure that I show up. I do every single thing they ask me to do. And then when they cut me at the end of training camp, I can just, I can say, I gave it my best and move on. Right. So I show up the first day and it goes horribly. I mean, maybe, maybe the worst practice ever in the history of the NFL. It might be. I mean, I'm talking like I'm not blocking anybody. I couldn't block a dummy, a tackling dummy. And after practice, the coach comes up to me. He's like, um, he's like, I think you need to learn how to play center. I'd never played center before. And I said, okay, well, so what do we do? Goes, well, the first thing you got to do is you got to learn how to, you gotta learn how to snap a football, right? I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So he goes, be out here five minutes early before practice. And the quarterbacks will meet you out here. You practice snapping a football. Okay, great. So I'm out there waiting, waiting. Here come the quarterbacks. I'm kind of pumped up. Like I'm trying to pump myself up. Quarterbacks come out. They're like, and for five minutes, we just practiced snapping the football. You know, you just bend over, put your hand on the ball. Quarterback puts his hands underneath you. Takes a little getting used to. And we just practiced snapping the football. And I was like, okay. And uh, that day and every single day, I went out five minutes early and practiced snapping a football to the quarterbacks. Because like the snap, it's, it's that important, you know? Like you've probably never noticed the snap unless it's on the ground or over his head, right? And then you blame the center like everybody else does. You never blame the quarterback. But you never watch a game and say, oh my gosh, how, how does the center snap the ball? It's, it's perfect, how does he do it? I mean, it's, but it's like, it's like the number, first number one thing of any play, like get a good snap. Otherwise, you got no chance, right? And then we do that. And then every day as a line, you, you go down and you, go, you get these things called shoots, you know, and you come out, they teach you how to stay low. You know, they teach you leverage, which is important in line play. And then you do these like same five drills every single day, no matter what, no matter if you're a rookie or you're a 15 year vet, no matter if you're the last guy in the roster or all pro, you do the fundamentals over and over and over because they're that important. Nobody's good enough to just get by on talent to just say, I got this. I'm going to go make it happen. And so, you know, I footballize everything and that's, as I came back to the Catholic faith, that's what I came to really appreciate about the Catholic faith was, you know, I'm, I'm a mess. You know, we're, we're all broken, you know, good times, bad times, whatever. But there's all these fundamentals at our disposal that all we got to do is just show up and do them, right? Like go to mass, 
go to confession, adoration, you know, the rosary. We, I mean, we've got, we've even got the saints, you know, we've got the hall of fame of Catholic. There's all these things that it doesn't, I mean, in football, I was a low talent guy. So I was like, I'm just going to show up and just do whatever they tell me to do. And after a while, like I got better and better and became all right at it. Right? It's like the same thing with Catholicism. All you got to do is just, just show up and just keep doing the fundamentals over and over and over. Like that's what football is. You always hear about who's going to win the game. Well, whatever team's more fundamentally sound is going to win. It's a game of fundamentals. Blocking, tackling, running, catching. I mean, faith and a lot of it's the same thing. Right? Like just, just keep doing it over and over and over. And that's kind of... It's kind of countercultural because, like, we love the highlights, right? Like, yep. we're about highlights. We don't give out medals or trophies for just, you know, for like fortitude and perseverance, just showing up. Oh, but that's what I think that's what makes a great life. Yeah. So, makes a great football player. Um, the commitment to, to something and just continue to show up. I remember I was having a, <laughs> I was late, I was, I was late in my career. I don't know. It was like towards the end. And, I remember this this younger guy, one of my teammates comes up to me. And football's really it's a spiritual thing, you know, like as wherever you are in your faith, you know, football, it's hard. It hurts. You got to sacrifice. You've high highs, low lows. Like there's a lot going on. You have some great moments with your teammates and there's this guy, he'd been in like 5 or 6 years. He comes over to me one day, middle of practice, we're we're sitting something out. He said, "Man, he goes, because I got to ask you something. He goes, how have you lasted so long hmm. in the NFL? And I think he was expecting me to give him like some training tip, you know, like, yeah, you got to stand on your head for two minutes a night, or, you know, something like that, right? And I said, I said, Ben, I said, early on in my career, it was about, can I do this? You know, it was a challenge of, can I do this? I said, now I'm at the point where it's, how much can I take? You know, in a way, it's like you show up, and you just you just take the you put your body through the ringer, you go on this wild ride every year of a season. You, know, you put yourself through it, and the older you get, the harder it gets. And it kind of became it's almost like a challenge. Not can I do it, but how much can I take? Like can I keep committing to this and doing it more? And that kind of became that kind of became my thing. And as I get a little bit older, I'm not old, but as I get a little bit older, like that's, that's a little bit how I look at life versus like, what can I go do or what can I go buy or any of that? But it's like, like, you know, part of life is it's sacrifice, it's suffering. Um, like how much, how much can I take? You're playing, um, <clears throat> offensive lineman and how much can you take and you're taking a lot and it's not the most popular position on the planet and lots of other players getting more attention um, and it is very much a supportive role in a world where everyone wants to be center stage what did you learn about playing a supporting role and how does that change the way you see other people playing supporting roles in everyday life. Like I said, I was never, I was never the star of any team. So, I mean, being an off, that's just like, that's like who I am. <laughs> I mean, I, and I, I loved offensive line because it was hard. There's no glory. 
And the only guys that really know how hard it is are the guys that you're playing next to. And I know, like I said, nobody's, no kids kneeling down at night saying their prayers, saying, please, God, make me an offensive lineman. And I wouldn't have said that either. But it was the best. Like, it was the best. I mean, first of all, you get to eat, like, whatever you want. <laughs> you know? Second, you're with a bunch of other guys who we know we're never going to be, you know, modeling underwear. We know, I mean, like, we know who, there's, like, low ego, like, we're, we're just a bunch of guys, you know, bringing our lunch pails to work. Every, so it's, it's the best. Um, so, but I do think that, I don't know, I, I do think I do go out of my way sometimes to find those people who are in support, who most people might, might be invisible, you know, in society. And, and I don't know, just let them know that I appreciate them or just should go out of way to say, say hi to them. But I also know, even though I was a professional athlete and accomplished and this and that, I always knew how much it meant when the quarterback or the running back or the wide receiver would come over and say, hey, good job, guys, you know, and give you a little, a little that, let you know that he appreciated what we were doing. You know, we were called the big uglies, right? Because that's what we were. And it's like, you know, these guys, I and mean, we're talking world-class athletes, right? We're talking right. guys who are, they're fastest guys in the world. They're the best in the world, best quarterback, running back, wide receiver, like elite athletes. Millions of people are buying their jerseys. Like these guys are the thing. Even though you're your teammates, you still look up to guys like that. And when they would come over and say, like, let you know that they appreciate that, that, that went a long ways. That was, that was big. And it, it meant everything. It really meant, just that small thing meant everything. I mean, that's, a, that's really a difference between a, I don't know, wide receiver is not gonna help me do my job any better. He's not gonna give me tips or techniques to help me. Now, he, he can make me look a little better than I am by making some plays once in a while. <laughs> But that's the difference for him to be a good teammate or just an okay teammate is just come over once in a while and just just give me a little give me a little love. That was big. Did that realization change the way you affirm your wife, you affirm your children, you affirm other people in your life? No, I don't do that enough. You know, I don't know why. Um, I withhold, you know, too many compliments. Like I think, well, I, I think it, so therefore. My wife, she knows. She knows I think she's beautiful. She knows I appreciate everything she does, right? I think I, I, think I believe I'm some kind of telepathic communicator, which I am not. <laughs> um, no, I need, I, I, I need to do that more. And that's probably, that's just, I mean, we're all, you know, some degree of product of our environments, right? Sure. You play football. I mean, what do football coaches do? They yell and they scream at you. Uh, and they critique you and the higher you get in sports, you know, the more coaching you receive, the harder it gets to improve. You got to work harder and get coached harder to just make smaller and smaller improvements. And so I guess, you know, I'm kind of used to, you can tell me 99 things I'm doing wrong. If one out of a hundred, you tell me good job, like I'm okay with that. Right. So I just assume that my wife and my kids are the same way. Well, they're not. Um, that's one of the things, too. I, I had all brothers growing up. You got a lot of brothers. I had old brothers yeah. as well. So, I mean, toilet seat's always up, right? Number one. As, if it's on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, 
but the yeah, just the whole you know talking like affection. You know, I mean, how do I show affection to my brother? Well, I would sock him in the shoulder, right, or put him in a headlock. So um, my first three children are girls. God gave me three girls to start, and I remember early on, my wife's like, "You can't." You can't talk to them like that. You have to be this way, and and uh, it was very, it was very much like I really had to humble myself and say, okay, I guess we are going to have a tea party today, right? Or I am gonna, you can, you know, come here and lay with daddy and, um, you know, stroke your hair or whatever it is, right? Um, that was that was an incredible experience. I, st I still got a ways to go. So as a professional athlete, you're used to being coached. When your wife comes to you and coaches you, what's that dynamic? How does that feel? You resistant to that? How do you oh, yeah. react to that? Yeah, right. I mean, familiarity breeds contempt, right? So, um, unfortunately, yeah, I would say there are a lot of times where I'm the least courteous to my wife mm. or the least patient with my kids. How does that make any sense? Right? Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's like totally, totally backwards. That's a constant, um, constant struggle. Uh, I, but I know this, um, you know, about marriage specifically, right? Like marriage is, it's like the great adventure, man. It's, I heard a long time ago, perfect marriage is, it's just two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. Mm. And I can say, I know that's my wife and I, we made that decision. We're not giving up on each other. And you know, I think about football, right? Football, it's all about commitment. I mean, football is just all about how committed are you to the process? Like, what are you willing to do? How much, how much sacrifice, how much pain are you willing to endure for the good of the team? Like if you're really all in and you got to be all in, if you're not all in, then you're all out. You know, if guys say, oh yeah, I'm committed. Well, the first time you lose a couple games or something, you know, guys will start bailing, you know, you can't only be all in when it's, when you're winning. But when you know someone's all in, when your team is all, when your teammates are with you like that, like you can do anything. There's, yeah, there's going to be bad times. There's going to be three game losing streaks and all that stuff. And fans are going to boo you and, but, but you know you're going to get through it. Like you just know you're going to get through it because you just you have to, right? We're in this together, and that's how I look at marriage. It's like you just don't you just don't ever you just don't ever flinch on on the commitment that you have. I mean, I can say I don't. When I got married, when my wife and I got married, I don't think we were at a place. I don't think it was a sacramental marriage. I think by the grace of God that we have we've grown into that, um, where God is at the center of our marriage now. Uh, but it, it takes a long time to get there. It takes a lot of work and we still got, we still got a long ways to go, but I know we're not going to give up. Mm. So if I know we're not going to give up, then we're going to make it. Yeah. We were talking earlier about the snap and how most people don't notice it unless it ends up on the ground or over the quarterback's head. Um, and you talked then about blame, okay? <laughs> uh, you know, there's all these crazy 
radio shows, talk shows, you know, Monday talking about the game on Sunday. Um, as a player, how much does that stuff affect you? Early on in my career, it affected me a lot because my identity was tied up in being a football player. Mm. It was really important to me. You mentioned earlier about people trying to, you know, beat like you try to project outwardly this image, right? Like, hey, I'm I'm successful. I'm married. I got two kids. I drive this car. I live in this neighborhood. You know, as an NFL player, you're kind of the same thing. I just got to a place where that was just so exhausting. It's just exhausting to try to be whatever. Um, as I came back to the faith, you know, football became less of who I really was. And you know what? I mean, I think I got a place of maturity where it's like, you understand people, hey, it's great people love football. Um, I think people probably love it a little too much. You know, it's a little too important. Um, I like to say it's one of the most important, unimportant things. Uh, it's really not that important, but in our country, it really has become too important. You know, it's like a civic religion. Mm. Um, and these people, they're just, it's their escape. Um, I know, you know, it's just, it's just what they do. And if, if I ever, ever really got to me in the moments where it does sometimes, um, you just say, look, they're, they're just talking. Anybody can talk. Yeah. It's like the, the Teddy Roosevelt. It's, it's the man. It's not the critic yeah, who points out how the doer of deeds could have done them better. You know, anybody can talk and criticize it. At least at the end of the day, like I was, I said, well, at least you're out there, you're landing on the line. You get the opportunity to go do something and lay it on the line. And it's real clear whether you're successful or not every week, you know, it's binary. Yep. Success or failure. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But yeah, you learn to, um, I guess you, you learn to just kind of, just kind of roll with it. Two of the themes that are emerging in our conversation are, uh, I think, talent and discipline. Mm. Um, Obviously, you need talent to compete at that level. Um, but listening to you, it seems like you value discipline Ooh. a lot more than talent. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, like I said, I always consider myself kind of a low talent guy in a lot of ways. So I was going to make up for it with discipline. I guess here's the thing I always think about. If I fail, we never want to think about failure. But I say, okay, well, if I fail which is a distinct possibility. And I failed, one of the great, I failed a bunch in my life early on as a kid. Like, you know, I didn't have parents telling me that I was, you know, super special. I knew I was special. I knew God made me. I knew what he did for me. I knew that he loved me. But it wasn't like, oh, you're the most special. You, I wasn't raised like that. I didn't get trophies, you know. My parents didn't snow plow the path for me. So I failed. So failure, I'm not scared of failure. I don't like it, but I'm not scared of it. So I always say though, okay, but if I fail, like let's go worst case scenario. If I fail, I want to make sure I don't look back and say, well, I failed because I wasn't disciplined enough because I didn't put the effort in. You talk about, somebody bring up my dad and it's like my dad sits me down and says, son, we're going to have a man to man talk. You know, these are just things you pick up. I pick up over the years, a couple of things, but his thing is just best effort always, best effort always. That's it. That's all you need to do. So discipline. There's a, you're going to have pain 
in your life. It's either going to be the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Mm. I, the pain of regret. I've, I, there's some regrets I have. I regret. I look back in college. I wish I, I wish I'd have studied harder in college. I kind of look like, well, I could have, I could have tried harder. Did I always put my best effort forward? No. With football, did I always? Oh yeah. Because I like, I like football better in school, but that, you know, regret's a bad feeling. It's a bad, bad feeling. So yeah, discipline. I mean, for me, it, it's all about, I'm, I'm always kind of looking at ways like, how do I, how do I refine whatever process I'm doing? How do I bring more and more discipline? I always prided myself as a football player. Like I'm going to be the most disciplined. I'm going to be the first one there in the mornings. I'm going to watch the most film. I'm going to do an extra workout every week. I'm going to have the best diet. Oh, you know, all those things. It was just like, like that was, that was sort of the game to me as a football player. And for me, for life, it's like, well, I mean, so you talk about, you know, you want to change your life, change your habits, all about habits. So I, I know that I need a, I do really well with structure and discipline. That's the, if I don't have that, if I'm just sort of making it up as I go along, I get loose real quick and then I'll have serious, serious pain of regret. But that's really countercultural, right? Yeah. I mean, freedom, do whatever you want, this and that. Yeah, you can. But then that means the pain's going to come later. Pain of regret. So listening to you speak today, I've watched a bunch of your speeches, read some of the things you've written. There's one phrase that you use more than any other phrase. I don't know if you're aware of it, but the phrase is show up. Um, you use it over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, you talked about it in the context of, okay, got to keep showing up for football, got to keep showing up for practice, showing up five minutes early. When you're doing something like playing professional football, um, you have an understanding of how important that is. And you get a lot of real time data, you know, um, like a lot of people don't know where they stand. Am I doing a good job? Am I not doing a good job? Depending on if their boss says, Hey, you're doing a great job, or I'm really happy with the work you're doing. You know, they might have to wait till their annual review to hear that, you know, my boss thinks I'm doing a great job or my boss doesn't think I'm doing a great job. But as a professional athlete, you're, you're constantly getting feedback. I mean, at any point in the game, all you have to do is look up at the, the scoreboard and you get instant feedback. You know, you come off the field, you get your stat sheet um, for the game, for the season, for your career, all of this feedback is available. You don't get that as a dad. You don't right. get that as a husband. You don't get that in the faith. How does that change? how easy or difficult it is to keep showing up in those things. Yeah, it's hard. You know, people say, what, what do you miss about football? I say, I just, I, I miss that. It's just super direct. <laughs> there's no, there's no gray area on how you're doing, where you stand, what we're trying to do. You know, it's just as direct, maybe even, maybe a little too direct sometimes, <laughs> but real life isn't like that. It is harder. It is harder. There's, there's more, there's more gray area. Sometimes, Sometimes you don't know, um, but I do know that you just, you just have to keep showing up. Like at the end of the day, you just want to keep moving up and to the right. 
Yeah, mm. like I just want to keep getting a little bit better. And so the only way to do that is just keep showing up, keep keep committed to the process, whatever the process is, whatever you think the process is for a great marriage or be a great father or great at your job. You know, you keep looking at that and evaluating that, but it's it's the commitment to the process, and it's I think it's finding the finding the meaning in that. The more immersed you become in the process, the the less you worry about the results. And to me, that's really when, as a player, like when my performance kind of went from here to here, was I wasn't worried about, you know, am I going to be an all star this year? Am I going to new? Con- it was just more like, how how good can I snap that football today? You know, as, as, as goofy as that sounds, but finding, immersing in the process and finding the, the purpose and, and passion in that, it's, it's very freeing, you know, because we love to worry. I mean, I love to worry about 10 years down the road. I can get, a friend, he says, I can get wrapped around the axle real quick, you know, and get all, if you let go of the results and you're just, you're just immersed in that process, you'll have great results, right? But you also take away a lot of the, the stress and anxiety that we create for ourselves as, as human beings. So I just know the best way I'm the only, the only thing I know to get better is to just keep showing up and work in the process. So you talk about worry. Um, one of the things we struggle with as human beings is uncertainty. Mm. And I think uncertainty leads a lot of people to make bad decisions because they, they rush towards, what they consider a certain outcome rather than sitting with the uncertainty um, and, you know, and waiting for their pitch, so to speak. Uh, 2009, you become a free agent. There's this period of uncertainty. What's going to happen? Are you excited about being a free agent? Are you afraid of being a free agent? What are the healthy thoughts and the unhealthy thoughts that go through your mind as a free agent? I was excited because I'd never been a free agent before. I played 11 years. I never hit free agency. So I thought, well, this is good, you know. Maybe get a little, maybe get a little pay raise and thought I'd stay with the Vikings, you know, because that's what I knew. And so free agency started and the phone's not ringing. And I remember I'm calling my agent. All of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking, oh, maybe we'll go to a new, you know, you just kind of like, it's all the good stuff. Oh, big contract, new, maybe I'll, Maybe a Florida team, you know, will get out of winter, get out of Minnesota winter, you know. And now the phone's not ringing. So now all of a sudden it's like, wait, this isn't how this is supposed to go. Mm. And then a couple of days and then it's Baltimore, right? Like Baltimore? Okay. And then Baltimore backs away. Like they were then, so John Harbaugh's the head coach, Baltimore Ravens. I called John Harbaugh. I said, hey, I mean, this, you know, players don't do this. But I was, if I was desperate or just kind of like, this was just kind of a real moment, I said, hey, I said, you guys called and said you're interested and now you say you're not. What changed? He says, well, I think maybe you're just going to use us as leverage to drive the price up on the Vikings. Mm. We think you want to stay with the Vikings. You've been there your whole career, your hometown guy. I said, let me tell you something. I don't know John Harbaugh. I said, if I come in for a visit, I'm I'm seriously considering your team if you want me. He says, that's what I wanted to hear. So it's like 5:30 at night. He says, I'll uh, 
in the morning I'll have, uh, I'll have our people reach out to you and set up travel arrangements. And I said, no, I said, I'm going to go online right now. I'll book the tickets. I'll be on the first flight out in the morning and I'll see you. And I did. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't say, say why other than maybe, maybe it was, I might've done it because I, it was like a blow to my ego kind of. So I fly out there and then I sit down with this guy, John Harbaugh. And I really didn't want to leave the Vikings. You know, it was like, things were good. And I sit across from this guy and he just, he's on fire. I mean, he's talking about how he approaches his, the team, how he runs his team, his philosophy. He says, it's real simple. He said, we're just going to work as hard as we can work and get as good as we're going to get. And that was the first time. That was the first time in the NFL I'd ever heard a coach talk like that mm. and not talk about winning. You know, most pregame speeches, it's like, we're going to go out there and we're going to win, right? Well, of course, we're going to try to win. He wasn't talking about the result. He was talking about the process. And he was talking about this thing. He said, it's, we said, play like a raven. Not everybody can be a raven. You know, he made it like this special thing. You got to be tough. You got to be smart. You got to be play like a raven. That's the standard we hold ourselves to. That was like they were different. Their identity was not in success. It was in how they worked. Who they Remember, I called my dad and I was like, Dad, I said, and we, John, I talk about faith. We talk about family. He's, I'm like, I called my dad. I said, Dad, I can't believe I'm telling you this. I said, I, I want to play for this guy. He says, well, then play for him. I hung up the phone. I said, give me the contract. Let's go. And it turned out to be an amazing experience, not just because we won a Super Bowl, but, you know, John and I, I mean, we would, we'd have amazing conversations about God, uh, about family, about football, about just stuff, you know, and then he'd, but on a football field, I mean, I don't know if I've ever played for a harder coach, you know, he was, he was demanding, he was to make sure you were going to play like a Raven, but off the field, it was, it was just, it was incredible, ex all the ex experiences that went along with that for my family. Uh, but being able to spend spend four years with him, you know, changed my life. Changed my life. What percentage of players would have made that phone call? I don't know. I mean, like I said, I think I I, I want to say it was probably it was probably more out of desperation than anything. I was like, I just I was kind of shocked and put off a little bit that I thought, yeah, I'm, I got a pretty good resume. Why isn't anybody calling? I don't know. But something, and that's really not necessarily my character. You know, I think I'm more of, I think about it now, I'm probably more the person to say, oh, they don't, oh, they don't, they change their mind. Oh, tough. Like they're going to, they're going to regret that mm. and kind of go off and yeah. So it really, that's really not, not really my personality, but I don't know, something, right? It's the Holy Spirit because that'll be a great, a great thing. Okay. But you've been named Minnesota Vikings man of the year, six years in a row. Firstly, what does that feel like? But then when push comes to shove and you do actually leave, what does that feel like? Yeah. Well, it's this. Uh, my first week with the Vikings, our head coach, yeah, Tuesdays was our off day. So he said, hey, guys, if you're new, just so you know, Tuesdays, we call it Community Tuesday. So get out there and do something. If you don't have anywhere to go, see our guy over here. So I was just happy to be on the team. Like, I couldn't believe I made the team. It's like, well, I'm not going to get cut because I didn't go do something on Tuesday. So I went to uh, I went to our community relations director and he sent me to a school, and yeah, I'd done pretty well in school, 
and I was amazed. I showed up at this school. None of these kids knew who I was, but they knew I played for the Vikings. And they were like, oh man, like they were just like, this is pretty cool. And so I just started, I was like, well, yeah, it was, it was too easy. Like to me, it's like, you're, you're playing the NFL. If all these kids look up to you, it's too, you just have to show up somewhere and you make some kids day, you yeah. know, show up at a school, show up at a hospital. Like it's, it's so easy for professional, for people with that kind of platform to do something good. Right. So again, I don't want to say that I don't want to make it sound like it was easy for me. And it just felt like being raised how I was raised. If you can help somebody, you just do it. Um, so get to do all this am amazing work in the community that I grew up in and, uh, and yeah, getting, I don't know, man of the year six times. I don't know if I, I haven't been named man of the year in my house yet, but, uh, <laughs> for the whole team. Okay, fine. Um, but when we left, I mean, there was a part of me that it's not that I wasn't excited about going to Baltimore and what lied, lied ahead, but it was like, like that was a serious, it was a serious chapter, you know, 11 years and all this stuff. And, and we never left Minnesota. It was like, yeah, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of out there a little bit. You're sort of like, okay, okay, God, like there's a, there's an element of faith there. Uh, I'll tell you this story. <laughs> so, you know, Vikings never won a Super Bowl, right? Long suffering, long, long suffering Vikings fans. I leave. I'm in Baltimore. The Vikings signed Brett Favre. And all my buddies are calling me. We're, that was kind of what we were missing. We were missing the quarterback. Felt like we had a really good team, but didn't have a quarterback. So now my buddies from the Vikings are calling me like during training camp. Like, oh my gosh, Favre is unbelievable. This guy, you should see him in the huddle. He's totally in control. He makes all the checks at the line. He's fun. He's he, his, his arm is just, you know, it's a bazooka. Like, you should have stayed. I said, well, if I'd have known we were going to sign Brett Favre, maybe I'd have stayed, you know? <laughs> like, that might have influenced my decision. I was, making, I was making decisions with the information that I had. And, when that, and now all of a sudden the Vikings are like, they're like the hottest team in the NFL. Like, because you got Brett Favre. This was, and I remember in Baltimore, you know, we're, we're doing all right. We're scuffling a little bit here and there. But the Vikings are, they look like they're going to go to the Super Bowl. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, the year I leave, if the Vikings go, it'd be like the, when the Cubs won the World Series. If the Vikings win the Super Bowl, it's the year after I left, I can never go back to Minnesota again. Like there's, I, I'd probably be like, there's that guy, there's that dummy that left when they won the Super Bowl. So, I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's very small, but like th that, that was, that was, that was real. That was real life. Um, and uh, like I say, the Baltimore thing, it didn't work out because we won the Super Bowl. That was great. But it was um, it was the getting out of the comfort zone, going on a new adventure, trusting in God. I mean, all those things. That's what that's what made it incredible. And getting to play for a, a strong Catholic guy. Um, it was good. So make this transition from Minnesota to, to Baltimore. Obviously, football is on your mind. When I talk to the wives of players and I ask them about these types of transitions, they talk about where are we gonna live? Where are our kids gonna go to school? I gotta find a new doctor. Yeah. I gotta find a new pediatrician for my kids, a new dentist for my kids. Where do we get groceries? Um, how do you manage both of those transitions at the same time? And and to be honest, as a guy, are you even aware of that stuff? Or 
in hindsight, you see that that was just very difficult for your wife. I was worried I had to learn a new offense. That's where my focus was. Yeah, totally underestimate the effect that it had. Kind of figure you'll, hey, this is what I go do. You, at that time, you got to go figure all this stuff out. And I can remember we were a couple months in and I can remember one day my wife was sort of talking to me like, so how long do you think we're going to do this for? Mm. Like she was, she was worn out and I was kind of like, all right, I need to, I need to be a little better at home, more supportive, shoulder more of the load. Um, yeah, it's definitely, right. We don't get any do-overs, but, um, you know, looking back and I certainly as a player, you're, you're just so, so lost in your own world. Didn't appreciate what she had to do, whether we moved or not, just, I mean, during the season, it's six months. I'd like to tell you that when I came home from practice that, you know, I was a hundred percent present at home, but no, I wasn't, I mean, I was there physically, but I wasn't really there. Um, you do certain things, take your kids to school when you can and this and that, but you know, your, your mind is other places. Um, you know, looking back, it's, it's kind of hard. You know, you feel there were times where I was, I wasn't the man that I should have been. Football was too important. Mm. Um, but also makes me appreciate my wife even more for what she did and you know, did it for, for me, for us and for our family. So fast forward, it's Super Bowl Sunday. You wake up, you're playing in the Super Bowl. Just another day. Just another day. <laughs> no special feeling. Well, firstly, how do you sleep the night before? I trained myself to always sleep, sleep well night before a game. Because I knew if you want to play well, you're going to have to sleep well. Yep. But when you wake up game day, you are, you are strong, tight. Any game day or any game Super Bowl? Day. Any game day. Every game. Okay. So I remember I got to speak to the team that morning. And I said, well, I said, here's what's pretty cool. So we've got a job. And at the end of today, because of our job, we know, we know without a doubt, our life is going to be different. We're either going to be Super Bowl champions or we're going to be Super Bowl losers. And that's going to... It's going to stay with you. It's going to be one of those things for the rest of your life. I said, how cool is that? How cool is that that we have a job where today is not just a day. It's not just another day. Like, this is big. Um, so I was grateful for the opportunity. And then the game, I barely remember any of the game because I wasn't thinking about it in the context of Super Bowl, million, 100 million people watching. I had made it so, I tried to make the game as small as I possibly could in my mind. So I was just saying, well, I'm just gonna go out there and try to execute the fundamentals that I'd spent every day the last 15 years trying to perfect. That's a, the snap, the steps, the hand, all that stuff. That's all I was doing. I wasn't playing in the Super Bowl in my mind. I was relying on my fundamentals, right? Versus like, well, I'm just gonna go out here and make it happen. Talent, me, that's, that, that's not what it was. Uh, Is there any moment in the game that you remember specifically? Uh, I remember when the lights went out. Yeah. That doesn't happen every game or every, every, game. every Super Bowl. 
Now I remember when the lights went out, now talking to people who were there, they thought, well, maybe it was like a terrorist attack or something. They're like, what, what were you thinking? I was so locked in because, you know, you want to get locked in and you'd never want to, again, pain of discipline or the pain of regret. You never want to kind of let your guard down and then something happened because you weren't, you weren't ready for it. Like you were too relaxed. You know, it's like you're a fighter, right? You don't want to just drop your hands for a second. You get punched in the face. So I remember when the lights went out, it was just like, I wasn't thinking about terrorists or it's just like, well, how long till they get the lights back on? When can we play again? Like I wasn't going to break character for one second, but I do remember that moment because that was a little odd. Yeah. So, I mean, a single play can shift the momentum of a game. Yeah. Uh, the lights going out was their concern. Hey, we're in the zone and we don't want to slip out of the zone and you know, what is going on? And I can't explain it. We were, I mean, we were, we were, it was 28 to six, I think. Like they couldn't stop us. I was thinking, we're going to blow these guys out. We're going to be partying on the sidelines in the fourth quarter. Like, so it's not, they were good. It's like, it's not supposed to be this easy. And the lights went out and there was no concern. It was like, well, when the lights come back on, we're just going to keep, we're just going to keep smashing them. Wow. But the lights came back on. It was a totally different story. It's kind of one of these, like, this doesn't make any sense. What's going on? Um, and so the way, so they, so the end, towards the end of the game, they got to score a touchdown. They drive all the way down the field and they've got first and goal on the five yard line. They got to score a touchdown. They score a touchdown, they win. And first and goal, they don't get it. Second and goal, they don't get it. Third and goal, they don't get it. Now it's fourth down. This is the ball game. This one play is going to determine the outcome of the game. Every play leading up to that had an effect, but this is the play. It's like, and I remember thinking to myself, there was a lot of guys praying at that moment. On this, <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, this is so messed up. I played for 15 years trying to get to this point, And this play right here is going to determine the outcome of the game. And I can't do anything about it. I got to rely on these 11, these 11 teammates. Now, there's part of me saying, I'm kind of glad I'm not out there. This is a big spot. You know, right. this is a big spot. But, and that's where it was like, one, one of me was like, Part of me was saying, man, like, I'm small, you know? I got nothing to do with this. The other part of me was saying, nothing else in my, I kind of knew it was going to be my last game. Nothing else in my career is going to be different. Like, everything is, but is this one play going to determine whether I'm a success or I'm a failure? Mm. And I was like, obviously not. Obviously not. I'm not defined by this one play. Now, okay, you're a Super Bowl champion or not. That's how other people see you. But everything else, I was like, I've got to feel the same way about my career regardless. You know, I kind of had to have that, I kind of had to d decide that at that moment um, for myself because, and fortunately, you know, they didn't make it and we won and that was a, that was a, that was a great moment. But, it's like a, it was like a coin flip, you know, they very easily could have scored and we could have lost. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe people would think a little less of me. Maybe they wouldn't laugh as loud at my jokes. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, is that like, that's the world, you know, that's the world. So it's kind of a, 
there's a lot going on there in that 30 seconds on the sidelines. There's a, your mind can work pretty fast when you're, when you're in an intense situation like that. Sure. So as a, as a man of faith, playing in the Super Bowl, do you pray you win? Do you pray you play the best game of your life throughout your career? Or have you sort of given yourself rules about how you would and would not involve God in football? Or yeah. what's that dynamic? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I guess I never out loud said, prayed God, please help us win, but I probably thought it a little bit. Like if I was to be honest, like in my heart, that's what I wanted. Um, yeah, I remember a day I went to mass and, uh, you know, the gospel was faith, hope, and love. And it was like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what's important. Yeah. It just kind of set it, set the stage and just, I just prayed that, you know, God would allow me just to play to the best of my ability. You know, be a good teammate. Um, just do the best I can. And, you know, I mean, I guess I'd like to say that I was always at peace with that, you know, but it's hard. I mean, we're all prideful. You know, I'd say that. And I'd, of course, I'd always, fuck, I always gave max effort, but sometimes my performance wasn't as good as I, wasn't up to my standards or coach's standards. And that really bugged me, you know, that would eat at me. I wouldn't sleep after games. So, I, no, it's probably not a it's probably not a great answer, but no, you're not you're not praying, you're not praying to win. I was not praying to win, but I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Is it harder to be a graceful winner or a graceful loser? Um, I'd say it's harder to be a graceful loser because of this, because being a graceful winner, not hard. It wasn't hard for me. Maybe it's just a point in my life or whatever. We won the Super Bowl, and it was sort of one of those moments where it was like, this is it? I don't know. Like, I kind of, I kind of expected, it, was not a, it wasn't a letdown, but it was like, I think it's kind of at that moment where you reach the top of the mountain and you realize, it was never about this. It was about what it took to get here. I mean, I'm really glad that I have great memories and feel so, so thankful that my parents and brothers and friends and everybody came to that. And we got to, we were on the field, you know, confetti fall in and afterwards we're, we're out in the city and we're having fun. And it's just, it's just, those, you don't get those memories. You don't get to do that every day, right? But it was kind of one of those yeah, this is cool, but I guess it, it really it really wasn't about this. I remember just thinking back to all the heartbreaking losses and the struggle and your fight through the injuries and, and all those things. And man, that's what it was about. It was about that journey. It's about journeying with these guys and guys that you really become you become like family with. That's why that's why it was awesome. The trophy. Mm. I mean, who won the Super Bowl three years ago? No idea. Nobody does, right? Nobody cares. I'm sure somebody cares. Well, so if you're a fan of that team, you probably care, but nobody else cares. What, um, do you miss anything about being a pro professional football player? I miss the guys. I miss the locker room. We used to have a lot of fun. What was it like? 
probably not the it's probably not like the culture here at Dynamic Catholic. No, it's uh, a little different. Yeah, we talk a little differently. Um, you know, it's it's a bunch of alpha males who really do for the most part, right? You 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 surrender to the good of the team and the mission and you work extremely hard. I mean, you put your you really do push push yourself to the limits of physical and mental exhaustion you have to uh, but then there's also those moments where you just get to kind of take a deep breath and relax and i don't know you know you make fun of each other you like any group you've got some big characters you know some big personalities and i don't know i just probably i'll probably never laugh as hard as i laughed in the locker room there were some there were some good moments some funny moments but it was magnified because what we were doing was, was, uh, was so hard. I miss, I miss that. You know, mm. You're never going to have that again. But grateful that I had it. If you could go back to draft day and do it all again, what would you do differently? Mm. I would try to – well, the quick, easy answer would be like I would – I'd go back to my faith sooner because I think for those first four years, uh, I made it pretty hard on myself, you know, just having everything wrapped up into my performance and being a football player. Um, you know, that's a lot of stress and angst and probably did a lot of things to relieve the stress and angst that you know, I'm not really proud of. Um, so back, it's just kind of like, it's kind of like wasted time. Uh, but yeah, I would just say don't, don't get don't get so wrapped up and don't believe the hype, don't believe the hype, just leave just leave all that alone and just 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 worry about doing the best that you can. Don't worry about how other people see or how you're portrayed or or any of that. That would have saved me. I'd probably gotten better sleep at night if I'd have, if I'd have known that sooner. Did settling back into your faith make you a better football player? It did. It did because it wasn't, I wasn't living and dying with my performance every Sunday. And did you know that at the time or you know that now looking back? I knew that at the time. Wow. When I started coming back, it was gradually, I was always afraid. I was always afraid because there's, there's strong Christian guys all over and I thought, there was a part of me. I know I thought this. It was like, well, these guys, they're like, they're all in on God, you know? If I go all in on God, then am I going to care less about football? Mm. And am I not going to work as hard? You know, am I not going to care as much? Like I kind of thought the reason I'm successful is because I just care so much. Like I'll just I'll do anything I got to do, right? Well, that's that doesn't help you perform at your best. I mean, it actually creates all this stress and anxiety, and it actually makes you makes you worse. Um, as I came back, it was it was just I was freer. I didn't feel like there was all these burdens and expectation. Like, I got to do this. I got to play at this level. It was just more like I was free, you know, sleep better, not quite as nervous before games. Um, and you get to enjoy it a little bit too, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, it definitely, definitely made me a better player. When fans are watching football on Sunday, they're watching their favorite player. They're probably not thinking to themselves, I wonder what, books he's reading at the moment. 
I know you're a huge reader. Um, I know you love reading. Um, what are you reading at the moment or what are some of your favorite books or is there a book that's had an enormous impact on your life? A lot of them. Yeah, I don't I don't I, I don't read any fiction. I mean, I'm 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 all in on your books and I'm not just saying that. I remember when someone sent me a, a former teammate of mine sent me a copy of Rediscovering Catholicism when I was in Baltimore. And at that time I was I was reading fiction and business books and it was more of like I'd read to escape, you know, sort of life because football was, you know, pretty intense and I'd want to go on a journey. But so that's, I remember I read that book and I was like, wow, wow. Um, but I read a lot of, they're mostly faith books. Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreher. Under Siege by Austin Ruse. You know, kind of taking the, the current situation that we're in and the Catholic faith and what is what does this all look like? Um, yeah, because it's I it, don't have as much time to read as I would like with with the kids and everything. So I just I need to make sure that what I'm reading is uh, I'm getting the most bang for my buck. Let's talk about the family a little bit. Uh, what's it like having eight kids? I guess I really don't know any other way. I mean, Did you think you'd have a big family when no, you were younger? Not wasn't really a wasn't a dream or a thought, you know, thought I'd have a family, I guess, but um, I don't know, I guess I'm just good at procreating. <laughs> it's a special Sorry. talent yeah. of yours. No, you know, um, yeah, my wife and I are fortunate that uh, we just, it wasn't hard to get pregnant. Um, we were blessed with three girls and then three boys, named the last one Brady, because we were the Brady Bunch, it's kind of a nice bow on everything. We are not able to have any more children biologically, but it was like, this is, it's, you know, I kind of like, I like symmetry, you know, I sort of, it's always kind of nice when things, and so I was like, three girls, three boys, we're good, right? And then my wife brings up adoption. And I was like, we talked about it before, but, and I was thinking to myself, well, yeah, you know, okay, but uh, I'm thinking deep down, there's no way a birth mother's gonna choose us, right? Because we got all these kids already. And the first day that our profile was kind of out there, two birth moms picked us. And so we got two blessings, two adopted sons who, uh, so yeah, it's, and we kind of felt like, I remember thinking when I had six kids, I remember feeling like, kind of got this down. Like we're, we can go out to eat. Like we we can function normally in society now. It's a total mess. It's awesome. It's awesome. We're, we're every day. I feel like I'm in over my head, which I think is where God wants you to be. On your Twitter profile, your, your <laughs> tagline is live radically in the present moment. Oh, man. How does that get challenged in that environment? There are times when it can be hard because you know, you got schedules and there's things going on and you got to do it, but that's the beauty of little kids. You know, my youngest, he's almost five now. And I think he's, I think he's my youngest. I think he's gonna be my last one. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, I'm really holding on to these moments because a four-year-old, they don't know any other way but to live radically in the present moment. That's all they know. Yeah. And so when I'm with him, if I if I plug in with him, I'm there too, and it's beautiful, right? 
but he'll get older and the world will get its hands on him like it does to everybody and kind of now we start to to worry and think about other things and be other places and so yeah i mean that's the beauty of kids right is there you have sometimes you have no choice but to live radically in the present moment if they really want it bad enough you know if that four-year-old wants that movie or <laughs> he's gonna make sure you're in the present moment with him yes he know? is and it's awesome it's awesome so you've got that going on with your four-year-old and three teenage daughters mm -hmm. what's that like that's scarier that's scarier you know i'm not a doomsdayer but this culture is a lot of bad stuff there's a lot of there's a lot of evil there's a lot of sin and that stuff's being a lot of stuff's being held up as good stuff right that's what's really kind of mind-boggling um, being a kid is hard being a woman a young woman in this society that's all sexed up uh, very hard do you worry more about your daughters than you do your son mm -hmm. from a cultural point of view I think from a cultural point of view, yes, but I also think because also didn't have any sisters. I don't know. I don't. I, I feel like I'm less equipped to help my daughters, my boys. You know, I'll, I know how to deal with boys at least. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the girls, I don't know exactly. I'm not. I'm learning. I'm as I'm walking with them. I'm learning. I'm trying to be, you know, obviously I'm their father, be their protector. I mean, how do I try to lay a foundation? Yeah. Like, I mean, a lot, I'm just really, I'm just, you know, I, I would say I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm trying to kind of figure it out on the fly. I'm, I'm praying a lot about it. I really am because I just don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like it's a great saying I heard from a football coach once. He said, Life will bring you to your knees. So you might as well start there. Mm. And, you know, when things are going good, I probably, I probably pray less, right? Yeah. Because yeah. things are good. I'm good. You know, things are great. Thanks, God. But when, when things go bad, that's when we drop to our knees and we're like, God, I need you. Help me, right? I mean, that's kind of how I feel with, with teenage daughters right now. And... You know, maybe I'm, I, I know that God exists. I know the devil exists. I know there's good and I know there's evil. I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people are distracted. They can bury their heads in their sand or bury their heads in their iPhone and kind of, you know, just escape the spiritual battle that's going on. I don't. Um, I see it. I'm aware of it. And so maybe that makes me, probably gives me more of an edge. Um, you know, I'm not always happy-go-lucky because yeah. of it. I feel like that there's there's something to be done. And so I... Uh, Are your daughters like, relaxed, Dad? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, I come on a little strong for sure. Really? But at the same time... There are other times too where, you know, because there's, there's, there's lots of crisis in teenage daughters' world, you know, there's serious crises sometimes. 
Um, and when they want me to be like, why don't I care enough that, you know, like when a boy breaks up with them, I'm kind of glad. You know, <laughs> didn't really like that guy anyways. I know what goes on in the head of a teenage boy. I'm glad he's not around. But yeah, I've been accused of not being sensitive enough at times too. But yeah, I, uh, you know, you know this, any, any parent knows this. I mean, you just want, you want better for your child than you. You want them to be better than you. And you feel like you are, you're pretty responsible for that. You know, like these, the way I parent, the, the conversations we have, the rules we have, what we, like that's going to dictate to a large, to some degree, how your life turns out. Now, maybe that's, maybe I need to let go a little bit, but I kind of, I just want to, I want to make sure that, uh, I want to make sure I'm giving them the best chance that they can. And it's, uh, it's probably, it's probably the thing I worry about the most, the thing I worry about the most. And it's just, is my kids in this, in this culture. When you're in the locker room or, I mean, you survey professional sports, um, you know, there are a lot of players dealing with the things you're talking about. A lot of players dealing with all sorts of other crazy stuff. How important is a parent or parents uh, to the trajectory of a person's life? And how manifest was that or how clear was that in the world of professional oh, sports? I mean, it's everything. I mean, it's, it's, almost, it's almost everything, right? I mean, you see guys now that I'm done playing. You see guys who grew up with a mom and a dad. You see guys that didn't, you know. There's a, for the most part, generally speaking, there's a huge difference in how life goes. And, you know, we can tie it back. You know, the one thing, right? I mean, this is not profound. We could, most of the problems in society could be solved if men were around. If they married the mother of their children and were present and raised their, raised their kids. Mm. That's it, right? And we can tell you, our faith, I mean, we know that, right? We know the beauty of the, of the family that God created. And I mean, I guess that, you know, I, I'll always go back to, sometimes what I'll go to sleep on is, I know I'm not the best dad, right? I know I'm screwing things up, but at least I'm here. You know, my kids will know I'm here and I care. And maybe that's the best I can hope for. Um, or at least they'll know that, right? Yeah, but I, it's yeah, it's it's massive. I mean, we, we have a crisis of men of manhood, of what masculinity is. And, um, you know, if you talk about in the family, you talk about any anything, an organization, a family, a team. If if leadership loses its focus or leadership's not there to focus on uh, evangelization or formation, then society will fill the gap. Yeah. Right. So. If a dad's not there, you don't have strong leadership in organization or in a school or in a team or whatever, right? Then it's just, well, whatever society says. And I don't want to sound flippant, but I mean, society's bonkers. You know, society doesn't know what it know, what it thinks. It changes every day. Um, there's all this consumerism and materialism and sex and excess. And, and I don't know. And it just, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of sadness. 
I think that's what you're seeing. That's what you're seeing in our world is just a lack of leadership and that's being filled by society. We're all affected by that stuff, you know, we're swimming in it every day, even when our best efforts are, you know, to work against it or to move in a different direction. Um, when you're out speaking, you talk a lot about priorities and you talk about, you know, how God is your number one priority. When you get distracted from that or, you know, out of alignment with that, what do you do to realign your priorities? Yeah. Um, so, right, well, I'll, I'll give thanks to you, right, for the four questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What matters most? What doesn't? We're all busy, okay? Busy. What's amazing is Fulton Sheen wrote about the busyness of life like 70 years ago. Yeah. The noise. Yeah. Well, we're a million times the busyness and the noise than we were back then, right? So we're all super busy. So we have what's urgent and what's important. And unfortunately, or what's important isn't always urgent, right? Like I've got to get the kids dressed, get them to school, do this. But then I can make all these other things urgent, like answer these emails, make this phone call, you know, whatever. Check my Twitter feed because I, I haven't checked it in six hours. So I've got to check it, right? Whatever. Um, those things aren't always important. We've got to make time for the important things. And a lot of times the important things aren't the quick, easy, right? It's slowing down. It's taking a pause. It's breathing. It's, it's counter to everything, which kind of these lives that we lead, how we've constructed them, you know, which is, which is go, go, go check boxes, you know, activity equals productivity, all that. You've got to make time for the important things and talk about God. You got to make yourself, you got to make time for God. You got to make yourself available to God. He's not going to find you or you're not going to find him by going through all the hustle and bustle. I heard a, uh, <laughs> a great one. It says, don't just do something, sit there. My grandmother grew up on a farm. I don't think I ever once saw her sit down. Mm. And she said, don't just sit there, do something. You know, work, right? Just work, do something. Yep. But don't just do something, sit there. I think that's what, that's what we need to do more of. Yeah. And that's when we can get some of the important stuff done. But unfortunately, the important stuff isn't always urgent. There's too many, too many things that don't matter are urgent. So we need to not do those things and carve out that time for the important things. You've been vocal on you know, pro-life issues uh, for a long time now. Um, recently talking about human trafficking. Uh, when did you become convicted around life issues? My wife, I was volunteered at pregnancy centers and, uh, but I was playing football, real busy, real important guy, real busy. And one day my phone rings and it's the Archbishop of Baltimore. He says, oh, your pastor gave me your number. I want you to come speak at the Maryland March for Life. I've got this rule that when a priest asks me to do something, I say yes. Just a policy I keep. If there are any priests out there, don't. I'm not going to honor it. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, well, I, I never, I never spoken publicly about it. Yeah, of course I was pro-life. 
Um, so I went to mass that day and it was the, the gospel was whatever you do to the least of my brothers and sisters, you do unto me. Mm. And I was like, Oh, great. I was like, God, you're speaking to me, right? This is going to be my talk. So drive down to Annapolis. We have mass. Archbishop celebrates it. Same gospel. <laughs> and his homily is the least of my brothers and sisters. This is the unborn. And so now I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm nervous already. Cause I got to speak. What am I going to say? He just stole the. The bishop just stole my stuff, right? <laughs> and so we're walking from the cathedral to the, st the steps of the state house, and I'm walking with a, a woman, and uh, I'm just trying to make small talk. I'm trying to think. I said, so, so why, why are you here? Why do you march? She said, well, I'm an abortion survivor. Mm. And I said, I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. She said, when I was 18, I had an abortion. She said, I deeply regret it. I don't want anybody else to make that same mistake. And this is how naive I was. But I thought, oh my gosh, here's a woman who's had an abortion and she's here. She says it's wrong, it's pain, it's evil. I was like, who cares what a football player has to say? Like, listen to her. She's, you know. Well, come to find out that night, there's thousands of women there who are abortion survivors. And I was just like, I was just one in awe of their courage, strength. I mean, really just like, wow. And then second, I thought, wow, if there's, this means that there's millions of women out there and men too, who, who are fighting this fight. Um, it just sort of took on a new level for me. It was like, you know what? I'm, I can't just be pro-life anymore. I got to do pro-life. Because being pro-life doesn't really do anything. You know, it makes me feel good. But, you know, we're not called to just, I didn't feel called to just sit on the sidelines and just be. I uh, wanted to do. So just got more involved over the years and work with pregnancy centers and get to go around and give a lot of talks and get to meet and be inspired by a lot of the great pro-life warriors that are out there. So the Ravens go to the White House as Super Bowl champions. I to live meet in a White president. House. You live in a White House, is that what you said? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Uh, where were you that morning? What were you thinking that day? Yeah. What was on your mind? Invitation came in the mail from the White House, inviting me to and the rest of the team to the White House. And um, this was like two days after then President Obama was the first president to address Planned Parenthood. And he said, God bless Planned Parenthood. And of course, it's uh, abortion's legal. Um, and you can be, I guess, for abortion, that's legal. But you can't say, you can't invoke the name of God and say, God bless Planned mm. Parenthood. And so two days after that speech, the invitation shows up. And I just, you know, I said, I don't really want to, I don't feel like I want to be there. I wasn't trying to make a big statement. I wasn't trying to be public about it. I had my daughters were of age where you know, we talked about these things. So I did want to set an example for them. So I just checked no and sent it back and didn't even think about it. So I don't know, a month or two later, I'm at the gym trying to lose weight because I'd retired. And I see on the TV, the Ravens are at the White House. I was like, oh, yeah. So I see my teammates. Yeah, it's good. You know, they're, they're having fun. That's cool. And I get in my truck and, uh, you know, my phone is like blowing up. It's all these writers from Baltimore. You're the only guy that wasn't there. What happened? Are you mad? Are you this and that? And I was saying, oh, no, I was busy. And 
you mean you're busy? Too busy to go to the White House? And I remember I had this moment where I just thought, I don't need to run and hide from anything. Yeah. And so I said, here's why I didn't go. And then it was like, you know, kind of became like 24 hour news cycle. And, and I was really surprised what I learned. I mean, I'm doing, I'm going on Fox News and it's like, oh, that went pretty well. And I'm going on CNN and well, that didn't go so well. What, what I really experienced was being at the middle of this, this, this war, this spiritual war between good and evil. That's what I felt. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, yeah, didn't, didn't, it's just funny how God works because I still, every time I get to go to a pro-life event or speak to a group, I'm always like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can remember how nervous I was to give a two minute speech on the steps of the Maryland State House after the bishop stole my talk. Um, and now I get to go, go all over. And it's just like, it's just incredible how, how God works. And I don't think there's any, you know, I mean, let's face it. If we can't get that issue right, I mean, it's like Mother Teresa said, if abortion's not a sin, then what is? Right? If we can't get that right, then I don't know if we're going to be able to make progress on anything else. Mm. Another one of your passions is Catholic education. Yeah. We've closed a Catholic school in America every four days for the last... 20 years, mm. four years ago, you got together with a small group of people and opened a Catholic school in Minnesota. You don't hear about that happening very often these days. Yeah. What drove that? Um, for me, one, I think you know, the world's changed a lot the last 20 years, but the way we educate our kids hasn't very much. So I saw the education system just as a whole antiquated. Um, I also didn't like how a lot of our Catholic schools are losing their Catholicity, right? That they're not being Catholic schools, really. Look, like, what's the point of school, right? G.K. Chesterton's, how's this supposed to work? Well, school is supposed to get kids ready for life, not just for college. College is fine for some kids. It was fine for me. How's this supposed to We're supposed to get kids ready for life. Well, how do we equip kids for life, right? Well, if anybody's going to have a great life, I think they have to have a foundation of faith, right? Unfortunately, we just Catholic schools aren't doing that enough. So I was like, I want a school with that's Catholic, that has this education model where we're getting kids ready for life, not just for college. Um, like, who's with me, right? <laughs> just so happened, I knew a guy who was thinking the same thing in the same area, and we just got together and said, what the heck? Let's do it. And again, God, you know, I didn't know anything about starting a school. I had no idea what the undertaking was. We said, let's do this. And we find a Catholic parish that I didn't know about in the area of town where we wanted to have a school that was originally built to have a school in the 60s that has never had one. So they've got a bunch of classrooms. It's like, you know what? I was like, this is a good place to have a Catholic school because it's a Catholic church. So every day our kids can walk 100 feet to Mass. It's like, if we do that every day, you know, I know nothing about running a school. I think the rest will kind of <laughs> fall into place. Um, and it has. Once again, yeah, do I know anything about running a school or starting a school? Nope. No. Nope. But I realize it's not about me. 
find good teammates, make yourself available, and uh, God wants it. He'll make it happen. Mm. So year after year, football seasons come and go. If you could stand in every locker room this football season, speak to every team from little kids to professional Ooh. athletes, but you can only tell them all one thing, what is the one thing you would tell them? You know, I think little kids are always thinking about, I want to play professional. I want to get to here. I want to get to here. Professional guys are thinking, I want to, they're thinking about, I want to play more. I want to, we're always thinking about the future, right? Like you only have so many moments. Football, football's a game where you don't get a lot of games. You know, baseball, you play 162 games a year. Football, you only get, if you're in high school, you get 10 games. NFL, you get 16 games a year, maybe a few more. Like you get very few opportunities and they're really, really special. I would just say this thing's gonna be over before you know it. It's gonna be over like that. Like enjoy this, because that feeling, Here's what I miss. You know, once in a while I have a dream about football. And yeah, it's just a dream, right? I don't control it. I don't dream I'm sitting in front of my locker at the Ravens or the Vikings. I don't dream I'm sitting in front of my college locker. I dream I'm sitting in the locker room in high school. Because that's when it's the most fun. Like that's when it's still just about the game. It's not, it's not a business, right? And I'm sitting, I'm sitting in front of my locker, getting ready to leave and go out on the field. That's the dream I have when my football dream. And I mean, that feeling you get on a Friday night when you run out onto that field with your teammates, the guys that you just been grinding with for weeks and months, it's an unbelievable feeling, you know? And if you've never, it, you can't even describe it to someone who's never had it. Um, it's, not like you, it's not like you get those feelings I don't get those every Friday night now. I still get them, you know, certain things happen in life and you kind of feel that that high. But man, when you play football, like you get that every week for three months or four months. Enjoy that. Enjoy that moment. Because it doesn't come around real often. All men die. All men die. But not all men really live. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. It's great to have you with us. And I uh, hope you come back again and talk to us real soon. I would love to. Thanks for having me. You're Thanks for all welcome. you do. Very welcome.